never know what's going to go viral. Because if we did know what would go viral, then everyone on social media would have a guide to going viral. It's just not that easy. There are certain principles you can follow to enhance the virality of your posts, but there's no guarantee that anything you post will go viral. Just look at my last few social media posts. Starting on Monday, I posted timely and informative data-driven analysis about Cam Newton. The topic of the day, the topic of the week, the topic of the month, the topic of the year is Cam Newton going to the Patriots. But instead of that post going viral, I think 15 retweets, some engagement, but nothing that you would consider viral. And I shrug my shoulders. Just another day on Twitter, not having any idea how the public will react. And then the next day, I wrap my interview with Nelson Souza, one of my favorite high-stakes players. I posted Tyler Higby's splits with and without Gerald Everett because they're extreme and extremely interesting. In four games without Everett, 11.3 targets per game, 22 fantasy points per game. With Everett, 4.4 targets per game, 7.3 fantasy points per What? Yeah. Not good. Not good. Because the analysis is, oh, 12 personnel, 12 personnel, 12 personnel. Well, the definition of 12 personnel is two tight end sets. That means Gerald Everett's going to be sharing the field with Tyler Higby. And when the Rams switch over to 11 personnel, because they'll be losing a lot, Tyler Higby will play and Gerald Everett will take snaps as well. Gerald Everett is a better value. FFPC High Stakes League's tight end premium format. Gerald Everett is going at slot 171. And that's only going up. It's up 10 slots in the last couple weeks, and it's going to go up even more because my Tyler Higby splits post with and without Gerald Everett did go viral. Now, that post didn't go viral as measured by the number of retweets and likes and replies. It went viral in the sense that it sparked discussion across the industry. Everyone on Twitter was talking about Tyler Higby on Tuesday, June 30th. I didn't expect it. That's just what happened. If you asked me at the beginning of the week, what would generate more conversation? Your Cam Newton analysis or your Tyler Higbee splits? It would be Cam Newton. (laughs) Oh, always wrong. The lifestyle hack for today is just keep pushing content, knowing that you don't know what's going to hit and how hard. And you'll be pleasantly surprised by a number of posts throughout the season. That I can assure you. Because rather than touting Cam Newton after I laid out a case for why he's actually a better thrower of footballs than is perceived. The trend on social media went in the other direction. No, no, no. Cam Newton's not even going to be the best quarterback in the AFC East. That's Josh Allen. Like, what? (laughs) Yes, agreed. Tyler Higby's overrated and, and Gerald Everett's underrated. Great work, Podfather. We will all now in unison rush to Twitter to tear down Higby and build up Everett. But with Cam Newton, eh, not so fast. Not so fast. If you insist Cam Newton is better than advertised, then we will respond by touting Josh Allen. Josh fucking Allen. Josh Allen is terrible. He's awful. And it is the great litmus test in all of football. If you want to know if Analyst X knows what the fuck they're talking about, Ask them whether Josh Allen is good or not. 
If they say he's good, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. If they say he's bad, this is someone who understands how to quantify a player's quality at the NFL level, and in particular, the most valuable position in the NFL, quarterback. Because you can't look at Josh Allen and tell me he's good. After posting a 63.2 college QBR, 21st percentile with a 7.7 college yards per attempt, he went to Buffalo in the first round based on arm strength and athleticism alone. Not accuracy, not anticipation, not decision-making, not feel for the game. No, just raw arm strength and athleticism. That's not enough to be a good NFL quarterback. You need to be able to throw with anticipation accurately to all quadrants of the football field. That's the determining factor. You can be mobile. You can be a big, strong runner. Great size-adjusted athleticism, like Tim Tebow. And you can have a fun fantasy season like Tim Tebow, but that is not sustainable. Just ask Cam Newton whether prolific rushing is sustainable. It's not. But Cam Newton came into the NFL as a national champion with one of the most impressive single seasons in college football history as both a thrower and a runner. Josh Allen has never been a quality thrower of footballs. Oh, but last year, yeah, last year, oh... 17 fantasy points a game. Top 10 fantasy quarterback. Did you forget that? I understand Josh Allen posted counting stats that equate to fantasy points last season with over 500 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. Nine rushing touchdowns. You think he's going to rush for nine touchdowns ever again in a single season? That's what you're chasing? And at this point... Most leagues are best ball. This is the guy you're building around in best ball? Where you don't have access to the waiver wire if and when he flames out? You're going to trust your best ball roster to this guy? Who averaged less than one half of a money throw per game. Seven money throws in 16 games. Seven. You can hover over the little eye next to money throws on playerprofiler.com. A money throw is a pass requiring exceptional skill or athleticism, as well as critical throws executed in clutch moments. Fucking seven. That's like a riddle. How a starting quarterback could only throw seven money throws across 16 games. If I was back there just throwing footballs up at random in a total panic with every snap, I would complete some money throws. You understand that? He's insanely bad. Like, awful. Look at the advanced metrics. Under pressure, 17% completion percentage. But oh, but, but oh, what happens when Buffalo protects him? Oh, 67% clean pocket completion percentage was also 34th in the league. So he was 34th when under pressure and 34th with a clean pocket. 25% deep ball completion percentage was outside the top 30. And he was one of the few NFL quarterbacks. It was Josh Allen and it was Dwayne Haskins. Just a couple guys who couldn't reach a 50% red zone completion percentage. Because in the red zone, there are no deep balls. So, what? What? Even when you factor in wide receiver drops, his true completion percentage was under 65% which was outside the top 30. 
and his receivers were getting separation. Cole Beasley is a separator. John Brown, a downfield separator. 1.79 average yards of separation at target for Bill's receivers was top 10 in the NFL, and they were below average in total drops. Buffalo receivers were getting separation and squeezing the football, and Josh Allen was highly erratic. A 6.5 accuracy rating, ranked number 35 in the NFL. Why? Because he can't throw! He's terrible! This is his best season! It's not like he regressed from an impressive rookie season. He was somehow even worse as a rookie. 5.0 adjusted yards per attempt as a rookie is also a riddle how it could be so low. You thought a 49% red zone completion percentage was horrific? Well, 2018 Josh Allen says to 2019 Josh Allen, hold my beer. 44% completion percentage in the red zone for Josh Allen in his rookie year. It's comical how bad Josh Allen is at the throwing of footballs, which is what matters. That's what matters. That's the determining factor, whether or not you can sustain excellence in the NFL and add true value to your team. Cam Newton has had seasons where he added a lot of value as a runner, but those are fleeting. Michael Vick, fleeting. Lamar Jackson, fleeting. It's all fleeting. Highly risky, volatile, and unsustainable. I would caution anyone from drafting Josh Allen in either a best ball league that's draft master where you don't have access to the waiver wire if and when he completely face plants as well as two quarterback leagues where there are no quality options on the waiver wire you can't stream quarterback in two qb and super flex leagues so for that reason i would sidestep the possible josh allen landmine he was good for fantasy football in 2019 he was top 10 in the league but this is a ticking time bomb player. And the idea that Josh Allen is better than Cam Newton is offensive because Cam Newton was actually accurate in his final full season in Carolina. He had the number one play action pass completion percentage in the NFL, top five in true completion percentage, red zone completion percentage, and completion percentage under pressure. And Carolina receivers were top 10 in total drop passes that season as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. These two players were never comparable. Never comparable at the college level and never comparable at the NFL level. The Patriots have by far and away the best quarterback. And anyone that says otherwise has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Unless someone's making a strong case for either Tua or Sam Darnold, in which case I'm all ears. But no, no, never Josh Allen. Never. Never drafted him. Never will. Why would you? All else being equal, I like to draft good players and avoid bad players. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to make it hard on yourself. If you draft Josh Allen, you're willfully trying to make the game more challenging. <laughs> and you'll see on our world-famous draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com. We have Josh Allen ranked below consensus, and we have the player analysis and team level analysis to back it up. That's the beauty of our cheat sheet. Not only does it have 300 players on it with complete projections, including targets, receptions, pass attempts, rush attempts for quarterbacks, 
all exportable to Excel, printable to a PDF guide. The analysis is integrated into the cheat sheet in a way that's all there at your fingertips, unlike any other draft kit that's ever been. Fantasy-draftkit.com. And the beauty is you can get it free. It's actually free. Just throw $10 at Monkey Knife Fight. And when you do that, you also get a free NFL game. Thank you to Monkey Knife Fight. They're helping make a lot of fantasy gamers a lot smarter this year by helping us to offer our world-famous, in quotes, draft kit for free. If you already have the draft kit, just upgrade to our all-in package and you can get a $35 best ball voucher or dynasty voucher over at the FFPC. If you have your calculator out and you're doing the math, you're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I give $45 to Player Profiler and $10 to Monkey Knife Fight. I get $10 of Monkey Knife Fight bucks plus a free NFL game ticket and a $35 voucher over at the FFPC. This is an incredible deal. And you're right, it is an incredible deal. And if you're on YouTube, you know we post a handful of takes every day to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld. There we are. You should also subscribe to the Big Dogs Gotta Eat fantasy football lifestyle brand on YouTube. It's Nick Ercolano, BDGE on YouTube. We will be paying it forward this summer, sponsoring my man Nick Ercolano as the FFPC and Reality Sports Online and Prediction Strike and Monkey Knife Fight and all these sponsors have supported us throughout the years. We're supporting Nick and his whole enterprise. And they'll be talking about Player Profiler's tools on the show this summer as well. I'm excited to watch, listen, and learn from Nick and the BDGE boys. And I'm also excited to listen and learn from Nelson Souza. Follow him at the underscore franchise 12 on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. It's about that time. It's about, let me check my, yep, 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 I'm checking. Yep, it's, yep, 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 it's about that time. Nelson Souza from Numberball. He is the high-stakes seasonal league savant there. Check out his work. It's some of the best in the industry. It's going to be his third time on the Roto Underworld Radio Program, so you know he's good. Nelson Souza, talk to me. Listen, I enjoy having this conversations with, with you because I want to have what you're having. You're, you're always full of energy, super hyped up, positive. I like it, you know? Yeah, just drink five cups of coffee in the morning and you'll be off and running with the podfather. Is that the secret? <laughs> no, it's, I do have a couple cups, but the important thing about drinking coffee is black, right? Black coffee. Yeah. Scotch neat, black coffee. Those are critical elements to hanging with the Podfather. A real conundrum player for me is this Cam Newton. I can't figure him out. I've heard anecdotes about parties he's hosted off the field and his locker room demeanor, but I just can't get a sense for this guy. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy's an enigma to me. And you called it. You called Cam Newton going to the Patriots. Why were you so sure? One, it, it just made sense you know, when you're connecting the dots, but, you know, a buddy of mine had told me that, um, there was mutual interest there, uh, once Brady left for, uh, Tampa. So, you know, it just, it, it made sense. It just took some time, but, uh, eventually it happened. It took some time. The Patriots are 
relentless. They are relentlessly patient. They will wait you out. Your contract demands are at X and they will wait until they come down to Y. And you might think, well, the Los Angeles Chargers should be interested. The Chicago Bears should be interested. But the New England Patriots don't worry about their competitors outsmarting them because they don't give the other teams in the NFL credit for knowing what they're doing. And time and time again, the Patriots are right that these other teams don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're overpaying Nick Foles with Cam Newton sitting right there in front of them. So good for the Patriots. This is how they keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's also the confidence in the Patriots being able to change their offense or defense to fit their personnel. And a lot of NFL teams are not comfortable in doing that. And convincing the personnel to buy into the team's philosophy, the team's approach to strength and conditioning, for example. So the days when Cam Newton didn't stretch with the team and just walked around pranking his teammates while they stretched, those days are definitively over, Nelson. That is correct. (laughs) But you could tell he's been humbled. See, I keep reading that what's important is Cam Newton's health, and the Patriots are getting a healthy Cam Newton. That's not it. That's not what's important. Bodies heal. He's going to be as healthy as he should be at age 31. I'm not worried about Cam Newton's health. Mm-hmm. The Patriots are getting a humbled Cam Newton, and that is what actually matters. I think that he's going to be as teachable as he's ever been and open to new playing styles and approaching the game with a more open mind and When you have that talent profile, when that's the ball of clay that you have to work with, if you're Josh McDaniels, that's exciting. I mean, as good as Tom Brady is, Cam Newton's physical tools dwarf Tom Brady's. Well, another big factor, too, is not just humbled, but you're getting a motivated Cam Newton. You're getting a Cam Newton with something to prove. Yes. Healthy, motivated, humble. It was shameful getting cut right? Getting released is shameful. And if you're Cam Newton and you are the Superman of the NFL, when you look in the mirror, that had to be soul crushing. So he has to rebuild his ego and where better to do it than a place that prides itself on tearing you down and then building you back up the New England Patriots. So who benefits most in this Patriots offense from the arrival of Cam Newton? Right off the top of my head, I'm going to say that the running backs are going to benefit most, and it's probably Harry and Sanu. Uh, My feeling is actually, I think you're going to see like a bunch of triple option uh, plays with Sanu in the backfield with Cam, because if you got to remember, Sanu also has a quarterback background. Wow. Wow. So we'll see five to 10 pass attempts from Muhammad Sanu this year. I I think so. I think so. He's going to be like, it wouldn't surprise me if he's like that sneaky, like flex guy that you draft at the end of your draft in like the 19th, 20th round. Oh, yes. And he actually becomes startable. Oh, he is the perfect late round best ball guy. Once the Larry Fitzgeralds and the Randall Cobbs are off the board and you're looking for guys that are going to start and command targets and give you weeks, you got to look at a guy like Mohamed Sanu. I would put Mohamed Sanu now ahead of Guys like Danny Amendola, the low-ceiling guys you know are going to get targets when healthy. I'm pushing Sanu ahead of those guys late in best ball drafts moving forward. 
Agreed. Now, with the running backs, yes, the offense will be more efficient, so there will be more red zone visits. The problem is Cam Newton likes to call his own number inside the five. So we're sure this is good for Sony Michelle? Well, I mean, in between the 20s, I think it's good for Sony Michelle. Absolutely. I think when you get near the goal line, I mean, it, it's the issue that we always had with running backs in Carolina. You know, Cam will call his number. They'll probably give him the freedom of, uh, you know, changing the play at the line of scrimmage, depending on, you know, what he sees for defense. Um, but I, I'm projecting Cam's going to put up anywhere from, you know, seven to ten touchdowns rushing. Whoa. Really? I think so. I think – listen – who who better than Josh McDaniels and Belichick to read remake their whole offense around what they have for personnel? And with Cam Newton, you got to remember McDaniels was with Denver when he had Tebow, and he changed that whole offense. So you know you went from you know Jay Cutler and and Kyle Orton and those guys to Tebow, and he was able to change that offense and make it work. Well. I believe James White is better off this year than Sony Michelle. So if you're measuring how much you're boosting these players, I think you boost White more than you boost Sony Michelle percentage-wise. You agree with that? I do agree with that. Cam did feed Christian McCaffrey in 2018. So we've seen him feed a satellite back in the passing game. Yeah, the, that whole talk of you know Cam Newton doesn't throw to the running backs, I, I actually i am hoping that that sticks, you know, and more people believe that because yeah. I, I do think that James White is a really good value right now in drafts. So Harry gets a boost, Sanu gets a boost, White gets a boost, Michelle gets a boost. On a percentage basis, Edelman gets the smallest boost. He does. I mean, he's the best wide receiver on the team, and so he's going to get, you know, his his targets. He was going to get targets no matter what, whether it's Stidham or Hoyer. He was going to get targets no matter what anyway. Yeah, but compared to the targets that he used to get with Brady, no. I, I think it's going to be a downgrade for him with Cam there. Yeah, you can't just put him back to his Tom Brady levels of production. That's just never going to happen. You'll never get that time back, Edelman. You'll never get that time back. Those days are over where you and Tom were running down the beach shirtless cuddling it's it's not gonna happen it, it's <laughs> over those days are over julian i'm sorry good memories they yeah great memories austin eckler aaron jones joe mixon are on your famous fade list this is the reason why you go to numberball.com you subscribe to get nelson Souza's fade list he has a way his instincts for knowing where the red flags are are incredible it's like if you were getting work done at your house and you had pipes running under your lawn and there's going to be digging, but you don't want to disturb the pipes and the plumbing that runs through your house or under your house, Nelson could just walk across your lawn and go boom, 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 set the flags. Like, okay, I see all this. I see all the places you need to avoid. You gave it away on Twitter that you're fading Eckler, you're fading Aaron Jones, and you're fading Joe Mixon. Can any of these three guys redeem themselves at some point can they get off the fade list or is it over no i mean it's still early enough that guys can come on or or get off the fade list but i'd probably say mixon is probably the one guy 
that I could take off the fade list. Uh, Mixon, listen, I'm a huge fan of Joe Mixon. So for me to put him on the fade list, you know that it's an unbiased opinion, you know, because I believe in the in his talent. I was heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I was heartbroken when I did it, but that's how it works. We can't involve feelings when we're talking about the fade list. I, I was upset with myself. So he signs an extension. He's off the fade list, right? He's off. He's off the fade list. Okay, few. But Eckler and Aaron Jones are, are being propped up by such unsustainable efficiency from last season. There's no way they can get off the fade list. No shot. No shot. No shot. Aaron Jones is not repeating those touchdowns. He he's going to be part of a committee. Eckler actually started to fade a little bit uh, for a stretch uh, at the end of the year. I don't think. Uh, the Chargers are going to use him as much as they did last year. He's going to be part of a committee. I just don't want to pay the second round price. I'm okay not owning those guys in the second round. So there, there's there's a strategy behind the fade list also. Is it get Joshua Kelly in the late rounds? And Justin Jackson? And Justin Jackson. But, but Joshua Kelly first and foremost, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's the guy that could command a 50% opportunity share right out of the box. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What about Dalvin Cook? Dalvin Cook, it, similar situation to Mixon, but he also has an injury history, and now you're paying a top five overall price. Seems like an easy fade to me. I'm I'm content just you know fading guys like that. But you were maximum bullish on Dalvin Cook last year. That was your biggest hit last year. You were all over Cook. This is what I'm trying to tell you. I, I'm telling you that... The fade list has nothing to do with favoritism. Dalvin Cook was my guy last year that I was hot and heavy over. I was taking him in the first round if I had to. I believed in him. I felt he was the next CMC. He was going to be the next guy that had that that big breakout year. And the following year, he's on the fade list. I mean, it just it happens. Well, who is that guy this year? That guy this year is Miles Sanders. Oh, <laughs> I've been seeing him creeping up earlier and earlier and earlier in the first round in high stakes. He goes at 12, then he goes at 11, then he goes at 10, and then he goes at 9, then he goes at 8, then he goes at 7, then he goes at 6. I'm like, whoa, this is happening. He's a mid-first rounder now. It's already happened. Yeah, his price is already adjusted. Whereas like CMC two years ago, he was living in the middle of the second round. Uh, and then late, it, he had that one huge run in the preseason. And that kind of put everybody on him. And he moved up to the first round. And then Dalvin was kind of the same thing. Dalvin was that guy that was just living in the second round right through the summer. Sanders, though, um, I don't. I don't even know why, I, because I, I I get met with so many people that want to argue about the whole Peterson, you know, committee backfield, oh um, you know, th- that whole thing. Remember Cam doesn't target running backs in the passing game <laughs> two years ago? We just talked about that. These narratives that are based on nothing. They're based on the fact that Cam Newton didn't have quality satellite backs to throw to. Then he has a quality satellite back and it takes care of itself. Doug Peterson finally has a true all-purpose weapon who can win in all phases, and the play calling will take care of itself, people. Yeah, yeah. 
That's how it works. <laughs> That's how it worked. So you actually had Saquon Barkley on your fade list last year. Correct. How did that come to be? You know, when going through the process of figuring out what guys belonged on the fade list, Barkley to me, again, another guy that I love, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's super talented. I didn't like the situation. I didn't like the offense. I didn't like his supporting cast. I didn't like the offensive line. Yeah, thank you. There you thank you for saying the offensive line. Horrific. Yeah. And much better this year, incidentally. Yeah. And he was the number one pick in overall, you know, the consensus number one pick. Yeah, this is the year to get Barkley, and you can get him at the 102 instead of the 101. Great. Yep. We'll take it. Now, you did miss on Galladay last year. I did. Are you now officially all in on Galladay to make up for it this year? <laughs> no. I mean, that's not how it works for me. I, I like Galladay this year. He's off the fade this year. Um, but I don't, I don't try to overcompensate for my, uh, my wrong calls the year prior. I'm seeing some overcompensating on Galladay. I'm seeing him go very early. Mm -hmm. Are you, have you been shocked about how early you've seen him drafted? Yeah, I mean, there's other receivers that I like um, that go in his range. So, you know, that's why I'm saying overcompensating is probably a strong word for me. I'm very light in ownership on Galladay. Is there anyone on your fade list that you're nervous about? Not like Mixon where he just signs an extension and all is forgiven. Who is on your fade list that you're least confident about and that in the back of your mind you're like, maybe I shouldn't have him on there, like keeps you up at night? When you add several players that are go going in the first three rounds of drafts, you're going to be nervous about those guys regardless because right. you're talking about superstar elite players in the first three rounds. And I have several of those on my fade list. So I'm going to be a little anxious, you know, with those guys. But I think the key to it is making sure that even if the guy doesn't bust and let's say he just has a solid year and it's like, oh, you you know, you screwed up. You, you got that one wrong. Well, as long as the guys that I was taking in place of that player are consistent and live up to expectations, then it doesn't really hurt me to not own, you know, that specific player. But as far as like, so that's kind of like a general statement, you know, of just all the players that are, are on the fade list. But if there's one guy that, you know, kind of, you know, bothers me a, a little bit, nothing sticks out really. Who's on the cusp of getting on the fade list? Who's off it now, but you're ready to push the button if anything goes in the wrong direction. Evans and Godwin. Yeah, they're already on my fade list. <laughs> they're already <laughs> there. They're already there. What would need to happen? Uh, Antonio Brown would have to sign with Tampa Bay. So Rob Gronkowski signing wasn't enough for you? That, that's Well, you said on the cusp. Gronkowski pushed them to the edge. Yeah, I'm there. And Antonio Brown signing would push them over the edge, and they would both end up on the fade list. Yeah. Especially Godwin. Godwin's going very early. Yeah, he's going in the second round. He lives in the middle of the second round. Lives there. He has a house there. Yeah, yeah. He paid cash, no mortgage. He just lives there permanently. At least Evans has a vacation home in the third round. Yes, yes, he does. But both those guys feel good when you draft them. Like You like those players. They're good players. 
there are some running backs that we're not sure how good they are anymore, but they're getting drafted relatively early. They just feel gross when you pick them because their opportunity play is more than anything else. So which of those guys, James Conner, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, which of those guys do you find yourself drafting more often? Probably James Conner. I find myself drafting more than those guys. Gur- Gurley's the other guy that I actually like. I like the offense. I like the strength of schedule. How can you not? How can you not like it? I'm surprised Connor's not on your fade list, personally. He was at the beginning. Wait, he found his way off it? He found his way off of it. He got helicoptered off it? Yes. And and this was early on. This was early on when I first did the fade list. Connor, boom, slapped him right on there. Yeah, because he's the most fragile running back in the league right now. The The thing is, I can see a situation where if Big Ben's healthy and that offense stabilizes itself and they go with Connor, he could end up as a top five running back this year. I can't see it. He's just not efficient enough. And he was never explosive. The athleticism is so bad. We're talking about 35th percentile speed, 6th percentile burst, 18th percentile agility. This guy isn't making anyone miss. And that's one of the reasons why he's so often hurt. Like those two things go hand in hand. Christian McCaffrey is so nimble that he's able to avoid huge hits. James Conner doesn't have that luxury. So the plotting athleticism not only diminishes the explosive plays, the long touchdowns, for example, the big boom weeks, but also increases the probability the guy gets hurt. (laughs) I'm not interested. I'm not in on James Conner. I think he was a moment in time running back a couple of years ago, and I'm more sold on Todd Gurley as a guy that could be rejuvenated. Melvin Gordon in Denver, or even David Montgomery having a tepid breakout in spite of his athleticism limitations. (laughs) They all feel gross. I mean, David Johnson is the most gross, but you do the math. At least the Steelers have players in roles that they can turn to a list of specialists on the roster that they could turn to if something happens to James Conner. Jalen Samuels is fantastic in the passing game. Benny Snell is adequate between the tackles. And Anthony McFarland is a big play slasher. So they have the talent on the roster to make a go of it without James Conner. Houston has put themselves in a situation where they need David Johnson. Without him, they have nobody. It's Buddy Howell. Buddy Howell is the third running back. And they've already shown their cards. They're not going to play Duke Johnson in anything more than a satellite back role. They want him to play slot. Yep. No, I, I get it. So are you drafting David Johnson if he falls? It's like the fifth round? You have to push the button on him? Are you the one that's the backstop on David Johnson? Because you did like David Johnson a lot last year. Or are you experiencing a fantasy PTSD and just last year's David Johnson flame out was just too painful? Because you can't get emotional. Listen, David Johnson was off to a great start at the beginning of the year. People forget that. I did forget that. Thank you for reminding me. You did forget. He was off. What was he like? Top five, top seven in fantasy scoring. He had some big weeks. Now I remember I had forgotten that. Why was that erased from my memory? Who came in and erased my memory on that? Because because he looked so bad. It was a men in black situation. I looked at the light. Boom. What happened? 
because he he was so bad at the end of the season and, and the coach, you know, basically went with Drake at the end of the season instead of Johnson. Let's recount here, okay? Detroit, 25 fantasy points. Baltimore, a stout defense, 8 points. Then Carolina, 18.5 fantasy points, RB1. Seattle, 21.9 fantasy points, RB1. Cincinnati, week 5, 18.6 fantasy points, RB1. Atlanta in week 6, 28.2 fantasy points, the number 3 running back that week. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then he was hurt and it was over. And he had a back injury. That that was the issue. He strained his back in week five. And then he had the high ankle sprain in week six. It was boom, boom, in succession. Yep. He never recovered from that. So if he's healthy in Houston, I mean, he he's probably the guy that has the most upside out of those guys going in the third round. What about Leonard Fournette? He's going in the third round. <sighs> I'm, I'm not interested in Fournette. You're not interested in Leonard Fournette. Really? No, he's on the fade list. He's on the fade list in a contract year? Contract year on a team that's decimated, going to be playing from behind. They brought in Chris Thompson. Uh, you know, the dude's kind of a head case. I, I'm not feeling it. No, I'm not interested. Not interested. You're not feeling it. Because he's been disinterested in football. Yeah. And you can only be disinterested in football for so many years before we as fantasy gamers get disinterested. Yep. He's in a much more challenging situation than Todd Gurley. As much as David Johnson is set up for success in Houston, you could say even more so for Todd Gurley in Atlanta, right? Yeah, he comes home. Atlanta's got a better better offensive line than the Rams. Way. The offense, you know, playing in a in the dome indoors, uh, I mean, it's set, it's set up perfect for him. The issue is health. The issue is his knee. What if the issue was the offensive line more than the knee last year. I mean, that's why he was a fade last year for me because, uh, you know, that that knee issue was pretty serious. But not this year. Not this year. He's not a fade this year. That's what I'm hearing. Not a fade. No, he he's not a fade because I, I think the situation around him up, upgraded. In a major way. Like Calvin Ridley is also in Atlanta, and his ADP doesn't seem to have a ceiling. When are we going to have the conversation, Christian McCaffrey or Calvin Ridley at the 101? <laughs> I don't know when we're going to have that conversation. I mean, soon, right? The way it's going. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't love or hate Calvin Ridley. I'm fine with him. But I think the ADP, if it gets out of hand, it's probably going to be a situation where I'm just going to avoid Ridley. I think it's already out of hand. And you should be avoiding him. What about Hayden Hurst? He's going ahead of Mike Gusecki. He's going ahead of your man Gusecki and my man TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> That's blasphemy. He's never done anything. How is that possible, Souza? He's never done anything. I, I actually love both guys' situations uh, better than Hurst. So thank you. I, I don't. Thank you. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, people are they're seeing you know the the common you know denominator is you know okay out goes hooper in comes hurst you know talented guy and he's just going to take hooper's production i you know i think that's what people are are buying into that is the one for one target share swap narrative is one of the oldest tiredest fantasy football hobby horse bits of fantasy analysis you're going to read 
Yeah, just swap him out. Hot swap. Swap in the guy. Austin Hooper's just a guy, right? I don't think you're just a guy if you post top five numbers across the board at the tight end position. I just don't think you're just a guy. No, I, listen, Gasicki, Hawkinson, Noah Fant, uh, Janu Smith, you know, all those guys I'd rather have over Hurst. The most maddening thing about the Calvin Ridley draft position and ADP rocket ship is that the argument revolves around Austin Hooper being gone. That's fine. Let me look up star tight end Austin Hooper's ADP because wherever he landed, I'm sure fantasy gamers can't wait to get their hands on him. And then you find out, lo and behold, Hayden Hurst has a higher ADP than Austin Hooper. If that's the case, (laughs) then what the fuck are we talking about? (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ. I want to stab myself in the eye with a pencil when I read the shit. That's the market. Something's got to give, right? Yes, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) What are we talking about? I mean, unless Matt Ryan throws for 6,000 yards, there's just no way that Hurst and Ridley are values this year. It's impossible. You're right. Something's got to give. Drafting Hurst and Ridley is like drafting A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. Something has to give in Tennessee, right? You can't draft both of those guys. It's the ultimate... Negative correlation play, isn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You would never. Of those two, who do you prefer? A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry? I think Henry's the safer guy, even though he's going in the first round. I mean, uh, I think his workload is is there for him. Wasn't Derrick Henry right there with Dalvin Cook and those running backs that you had ranked above consensus? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How did you know it was going to be the Derrick Henry show? I, I just believed in the talent, and I... I just figured that eventually the coaching staff was going to was going to see it that you can't you know give you know Dion Lewis and all these other guys you know these has-beens you know opportunities when Henry is taking a screen pass 75 yards to the house. That's right. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. And I feel the same way about Darius Geist. Doesn't that apply to Darius Geist this year in Washington? There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen though over there. I I like Geist this year, but I can also listen where he goes in drafts. He's not going to hurt you if it doesn't work out. That's right. But at the same time, I can see scenarios where, you know, they just utilize a couple of those backs and he doesn't quite reach his full ceiling. There's still time. There's still time to buy. There's still time to buy in Darius guys in dynasty. You like Antonio Gibson? Yeah, he's the guy to own there. Oh, 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 okay. Okay, that's I'm writing that down. A little interesting nugget there. I love the NFC South more than the NFC East. It's a glorious place to hunt for fantasy value. Looking at the Buccaneers, Godwin's a fade, and Mike Evans is a fade because there's just so many weapons there, high-level weapons. Not Hayden Hurst-level weaponry, Rob Gronkowski-level weaponry. We'll enjoy bountiful production in Tampa. It's just that the target shares will be inconsistent week to week. So my guess is this points to one single player that you want more than the others at his ADP. I just want you to say it out loud. What's his name? Come on, Matt. You you know the answer to this. I do know the answer. It's the guy I've been getting. It's Tom Terrific. Tom yep. Brady. Tom Brady. If you like Godwin and you like Evans and you like Gronkowski, then you have to like Tom Brady. 
Just look at the ADPs of the wide receivers if you want to figure out which quarterbacks to draft. Go with Tom Brady and go with Matt Ryan and log out. Yep. And what division are those guys in? Oh, shocking, shocking, the NFC South. Rob Gronkowski is not on the fade list, right? He's avoiding it. I actually thought Rob Gronkowski, when he came out of retirement, they did the whole trade. I thought he was going to skyrocket up drafts. I did too. Like I thought he was going to live like in the fourth round of, of drafts, like right after like Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz. Yeah. I thought here comes Gronk, but he's not, he's going at FFPC. He's going like in the eighth, ninth round. It's weird. It's weird. So he's actually a value in the highest stakes leagues. I've noticed him creeping up. I think the velocity will increase once there's any kind of camp and people can watch him out there moving around. He looks fluid. Just one gif of him catching passes from Tom Brady and looking fluid. Boom. He's up two rounds. Yeah, absolutely. It happens that fast. That's going to happen. What about in Carolina? That's an exciting tight end. Ian Thomas, right? I like Ian Thomas's talent, but again, you know, But again, you know, too many mouths to feed is the is the analogy that I, I know you. Oh, love that. no. I know you love that cliche. Come on. Can you, I liked it when I liked when you said cooks in the kitchen and you avoided the cliche, Nelson. Oh, 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 oh. All right. But there has to be one receiver in Carolina you like. I mean, other than DJ Moore, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know DJ Moore. Yeah. But- of the fringier receivers, we're talking Ian Thomas, we're talking Curtis Samuel, talking Robbie Anderson. Who you got? Robbie Anderson. Give me Robbie Anderson. Oh, yeah. He's been very good during his career in very challenging situations. Having to deal with Stephon Gilmore twice a year, it's been annoying mm-hmm. playing in the AFC East. Now he gets to enjoy the bounties of the NFC South. He's going to be running around in dome conditions and shootouts going, oh, shit, football's fun, man. (laughs) It's not 20 degrees getting molested by Stephon Gilmore all game. This is enjoyable. He had to deal with poor quarterback play in Sam Darnold. Imagine what he can do with an upgrade in Bridgewater. Tredavious White, Stephon Gilmore. And Sam Darnold throwing the footballs. I mean, that's a difficult situation, right? <laughs> he's pulling a sled up a mountain. Now he's just coasting, baby. He's coasting. Another NFC South tight end, Jared Cook, seems to be forgotten, similar to Rob Gronkowski. He's going even later. I can't disagree with that because I forget about him. I, I have him kind of lower on my rankings just because – just because. Just because, well, I mean, he's in a good offense, but I don't think he catches the same amount of touchdowns as he did last year. And if he doesn't get the touchdowns, then what do you really have? Kamara's healthy to start the season. That's big because Jared Cook did the majority of his damage in the second half last year, which coincided with Kamara's high ankle sprain. They added Emmanuel Sanders, so significant upgrade across from Michael Thomas. Jared Cook's a year older. It makes sense that we would have to pull back the reins on his 
projected targets and touchdowns this year. The NFC West is also very interesting. Who's your favorite Cardinal wide receiver to draft at ADP? Christian Kirk. I knew it. God, I knew it. God, I know you so well. Why Kirk? Well, because Hopkins, you know that's one of my rules, right, Uh, of the fade list. We've talked about it. It's why I'm not drafting Hopkins. You switch teams. Yeah, you switch teams that first year. Not interested. Especially, you switch teams and you stay in the second round. Nah. Christian Kirk, I think, is a talented guy. Great hands. Second year in the offense. He also, too, was banged up. He had a high ankle sprain that he dealt with uh, in the second part of the season. I think it's the forgotten high ankle sprain from last season. I, I like him. He also happens to be very good. He's still young. He posted a 1,000-yard season in his true freshman year at Texas A&M. He's still young. He's now fully acclimated to the offense. He has chemistry with Kyler Murray. He is the best value wide receiver outside the first 100 selections in fantasy drafts. What about Kenyon Drake? I'm seeing similar trends in the ADP with Kenyon Drake to Miles Sanders, where he started going at slot 15 and 14, 13, 12. You all in on Kenyon Drake? Yeah, absolutely. Those kind of running backs are the the guys that – those kind of guys is what interests me. They're do-it-all running backs. They can catch the ball. They're explosive. And they can handle the whole workload. So, you know – when you, when you really look at it, it makes sense that ADP-wise, Sanders, Drake, those guys are going ahead of like an Austin Eckler, for example. Yeah, because they're bigger. They're at least 10 pounds heavier, and they project to command 20% more of the backfield touches than an Austin Eckler because they more closely fit the profile of an NFL bell cow. Yep. Who's going to be this year's Kenyon Drake that has that second-half surge? Ah, man. I'm probably going to say that it's Kareem Hunt or Matt Breida. Ooh. Ooh. What if Kareem Hunt gets traded midseason like Kenyon Drake did last year to a team whose primary back was injured? Oh, my. Then what happens? Then what happens? Then he's an RB1. Yeah. Quite easily. Yeah. That is the answer. I mean, that is a great answer. That's the best answer I've heard on the show in weeks. If we were grading an answer across multiple different categories of correctness, that would be the most correct I could imagine. No, listen, Kareem Hunt, where he's going in drafts, you're kind of, it's like fifth round, okay? That's kind of like the neighborhood he lives in. In a tournament, you want to own some Kareem Hunt because if things break his way, no pun intended, and Chubb you know, got injured, Kareem Hunt would be an RB1. He would be like a top five running back. He would be a league winner. Right, because the reason why we're comfortable drafting Chubb in the first place in the second round, despite the presence of Kareem Hunt, is because the Browns are all in on the running game this year. They brought in Kevin Stefanski. They upgraded the offensive line in the draft and in free agency. Just like Dalvin Cook last year, the Browns are saying, we want Nick Chubb to be this year's Dalvin Cook. 
and Nick Chubb is in his super prime and teed up for a monster season between the tackles. We know that to be the case, which is why we're comfortable drafting him in the second round. However, if anything happens to Hunt or anything happens to Chubb and one of those two guys moves into a super primary back role, it's top five all the way. That's true. I can see that too. Who's going to be this year's Chris Godwin? The guy I like is DJ Chark. That That's my boy this year. Yes, that's it. That's another right answer. That's just a straight up right answer. God, I love DJ Chark. Why not? Why not? There's only one player that I watched film on where I watched all of his receptions from 2019. It was DJ Chark. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. I said, this guy went from zero to star in one season. He was not used at all. And then he became the alpha. And he looks like an alpha. And he plays like an alpha. And the conversions that he was able to put together last year on poorly thrown passes were impressive. And his ability to maintain his feet in balance and rack up yards after the catch in situations where other wide receivers would have gone down at first contact or at the catch point was also impressive. I needed to watch the tape because the accuracy rating on his passes was so low, the situation was so abhorrent, I had to go watch him. And then when I did, I was I was blown away. Yeah. Blown away. He's in for a big year this year. Round six. Round six. Give him round six. Yeah. Fifth round. Incredible. Push him up a little bit. Give him round five. Why not? Yeah. The most interesting game split I've ever seen in my history in this business, if I imagined how I would feel had I been all in on Tyler Higby, upon seeing his splits with and without Gerald Everett on the field, I would have vomited. If I were all in on Tyler Higby. No one can be all in on Tyler Higby after they've seen his splits with and without Gerald Everett. Listen, it's recency bias. They, they see that end of the season, which was a historic run that he had, a, a monster stretch at the end of the year. That can't be repeated and ever. Ever, ever. And everyone thinks that that was his coming out party and that Tyler Higby, who. <laughs> I love the way you said that. We're talking about Tyler Higby. He's such a guy. He's such a guy. He's a guy. He's a guy, everybody. He's a guy. You think in a vacuum, if we were drafting an NFL team and we needed a tight end to go win a Super Bowl, that you'd want Tyler Higby over a Mike Gusecki, over a TJ Hawkinson, over a Rob Gronkowski, but he's going before those guys. It makes no fucking sense. I mean, shit. I mean, shit. Give me Hayden Hurst. At least Hayden Hurst has the pedigree. I'll even take Hayden Hurst. At least he has a situation. At least he doesn't have Gerald Everett to compete with. I mean, at least he was a first-round pick. At least Hurst is somebody, you know? At least he's got talent. At least he didn't go to Western fucking Kentucky. I mean, get out of here. You go to Western Kentucky with average at best athleticism and you break out at age 27 and I'm supposed to be impressed? What the fuck? People are losing their mind. This is what I'm talking about. 
That's why he's on the fade list. I didn't even know he's on the fade list. I just assumed he was on the fade list. Certainly he was on the fade list. I didn't even ask if he was on the fade list. I knew for a fact he was on the fade list without even looking at the fade list. I have no idea whether Tyler Higby was on the fade list or not, but I knew he was on the fade list. I'm trying to save people from themselves, and people still don't buy it. They want Tyler Higby. Fucking Tyler Higby. If you're going to draft a guy on the Rams, make it Robert Woods, right? Give me Robert Woods all day long where he goes. What about on Seattle? You get Tyler Lockett over here. You get DK Metcalf over here. That means very good things for Russell Wilson, just like Tom Brady, by the way. Mm -hmm. But if you had to pick between Lockett and Metcalf, who you got? See, I've seen this debate on Twitter where who is the alpha moving forward? It's a question. I'm in the Tyler Lockett camp. I will admit that I was not a fan of Metcalf coming out, and he surprised me last year, and he played better than I thought he would play. But I still think that Lockett is the man there. I can tell you why he played so well. In spite of running the same route over and over and over and over again, the permafade. Well, we'll run the shoulder fake slant to get the DBs off the scent every 10 plays. Otherwise, it's just fade every time. And that works only because your quarterback is Russell Wilson. If he was on the Rams, ask Sammy Watkins what his target share would be. And... The other thing that we keep going back to on the show today is Tyler Lockett was hurt towards the end of the year last year. He went to the hospital, Nelson. They thought his leg was broken. And he put up a big fat goose egg in one of the games at the end of the season. It was like an unforgivable zero. Week 13, he put up a zero against Minnesota. And then he came back in week 15 and put up 26 points, but everyone had him on the bench. Yeah, that's what it was. So that's what people go back to. So that's why they're favoring Metcalf. Look at the look at the playoff run that they had too with with Metcalf. Metcalf had what what did he do in the in the playoffs in the NFL playoffs? I want to say he had a couple of big games, didn't he? Yeah, in the playoffs, DK Metcalf had 11 catches for 219 yards and a touchdown. There you go. In two games. So we averaged over 100 yards a game. Pretty good. Yeah. So there you go. That's what people remember. They remember Tyler Lockett giving them a goose egg when it counted the most. And they remember Metcalf in the NFL playoffs. Get over it. That's why we're having this debate. You got to get over it. You got to get over it. I think that Russell Wilson can challenge Mahomes and Lamar Jackson because all the forces are working against the Seattle running game. It's an incredibly difficult schedule of run defenses. I mean, a lot of shootouts. And when they're not in a shootout, they're facing a super soft pass defense like Washington or Miami or New York. So that leads me to believe that the ground may be tilled perfectly to finally unlock Russell Wilson all the way to give him those 600 pass attempts that I've always wanted to see him enjoy. I think he would be the number one quarterback in fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's in his range of outcomes. And and when you think of Russell Wilson, you think of a safe guy, but I think there's a ceiling there too. That's not talked about enough. No, there, there is. I I can see that. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. I just, I'm hesitant just because of the coaching staff that, and their stubbornness to open up the offense, even though they have, you know, a talented quarterback like Wilson. I'm looking at an FFPC draft where you were drafting out of the two hole. Mm -hmm. 
and you took Chris Carson in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. Talk about that pick. You know, I was on a podcast also um, that night, and oh no, I, I was—I even said it that you know what, I'm going to get trapped into this guy because Carson is actually on my fade list, you know, and here I am taking this guy because it's the latest I've ever seen him, and I'm doing several of these football guys drafts, and sometimes you know you have to make adjustments, even though. The guy is on the fade list. Based off of where he was going in drafts, I decided to take him on a team. End of the fourth round is late for Carson. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, they were off the board. James Conner, long gone. The only other running back you could consider there, other than David Montgomery, is Kareem Hunt. When you saw Hunt go with the next pick, did you crumple up a piece of paper or, or throw an object against the wall <laughs> no not at all because i got my boy chark that's right with the teacher chark in the fifth round love that love that and then dak prescott in round six you took prescott before kyler murray before watson before wilson what's the rationale having prescott in the number three quarterback spot in your rankings well because i i love the offense i love the schedule and I just think that the supporting cast that he has, I that's what I expect him to land. I expect him. He, you want to talk about range of outcomes with like Wilson, Dak wouldn't surprise me if Dak finished as the number one fantasy quarterback this year. And plus I had Zeke and Cooper and that was kind of my plan once I took those guys that I was going to take Dak to stack it. I'm going to stack them up in tournaments, yeah. hoping that the Cowboys go nuclear they have the best offense in the NFL, and you ride that wave. In tournaments, you need to stack to get that additional correlated upside. It's important. Mike Gusecki in round seven. He's your guy. That's your that's the on-brand pick of the draft right there. Yep. Can't go off-brand. Mike Gusecki is one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. He is now the number two. He's the entrenched number two receiver with Preston Williams still rehabilitating a torn ACL. Gusecki's the number two, and he was top five in the league last year in total target depth. <laughs> oh, Very exciting. <laughs> Young tight end going into his third year with an exceptional athletic profile with sneaky usage the previous season. Everything's lining up, Nelson! Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love love this draft. Love the Marvin Jones pick. Oh, 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 oh Marvin Jones. Why not? Mm -hmm. What am I missing on Marvin Jones? He was good. When yeah. he's playing, he's good. Yeah. I don't get it. He usually makes it to the ninth and 10th round, though. You moved up to get him in the eighth round. I, I did. This was a wide receiver heavy draft. So, you know, that's important, too, to get a feel for how the draft is flowing. And sometimes you got to move guys up. So I, I knew Jones wasn't coming back. Can you believe Deontay Johnson went with the fourth pick in the seventh round? He went before A.J. Green. Deontay Johnson 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 before A.J. Green. That's the pick. That's the pick that made blood start dripping out of my ear. Just <laughs> down my neck, blood dripping looking at Deontay fucking Johnson and his nine fantasy points per game in his career 
going ahead of A.J. Green. Fuck me, Nelson. Fuck me. Where, where did that come from? Fuck me. Where, where, when did that happen? When did Deontay Johnson become a thing? It's fine if he's a thing and you want to take him over Darius Slayton. Cool. Cool. A.J. Green? Fuck no. Fuck no. I'm offended. Like, I don't even know A.J. Green. I don't know any member of his family. <laughs> I'm not connected to him in any way. I'm offended on A.J. Green's behalf. Deontay fucking Johnson. Just go look where Deontay Johnson goes versus James Washington, two players that produced at similar levels last season. It's a joke. It's an absolute fucking joke. Matt Breed in the ninth round, not a joke. Savvy move. Savvy move. Matt Breida also could have one of those Kenyon Drake level second halves, right? It, it's possible. If he gets anointed, he could get anointed. Another high ankle sprain for Jordan Howard. He's like James Conner. He can't avoid contact. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Matt Breida is good in the passing game. Explosive player going to an up and coming offense. I can see it. I can see it. I can absolutely see it. Paris Campbell in round 12. Oh. Oh, that made me happy. Paris Campbell. I Listen, I'm projecting him to play the slot this year with Indy, and you got a Phillip Rivers-led offense. You know, I'm just connecting the dots. You know, he's a, he's a poor man's Keenan Allen right now. Going in the 12th round, you know, I think that's a, that's a deal. A poor man's Keenan Allen. He's the most explosive Keenan Allen <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Please make that happen. Henry Ruggs in round 12, he and Brandon Ayuk go bang, bang. Who do you like better, Ruggs or Ayuk? Uh, Ruggs, for sure. I, I, Why? I'm starting to like Ruggs more and more because the when I, I watched a video of Mayock uh, after the draft, it was I only but I only caught it like a month ago, but it was shortly after the draft, and he talked about how Ruggs fits that offense and that it – they're looking at him as not like this like deep threat, stretch the field, Deshaun Jackson type. They're they're looking at him as like a target monster. What they wanted Antonio Brown to be last year? Wow. If he is able to execute a robust route tree, like if he comes to the team and they open up the playbook and oh wow, Henry Ruggs has a robust route inventory, that's exciting. That's very exciting. I think Brandon Ayuk in the 12th round is also great value because last time I checked, Debo Samuel is not healthy. He has a broken bone in his foot, yet Debo Samuel goes in round 9. Brandon Ayuk goes in round 13. Give me Brandon Ayuk at that ADP all day. Can't you just scratch Debo Samuel off your list and not draft him? Listen, he was he was already on the list. He was already on the fade list before the broken foot. Oh, Oh, the insult to the injury. Oh, the insult. I'm not insulted on his behalf at all. Unlike AJ Green, I'm right there with you. Fade the fuck out of Debo Samuel. That kind of yak's not sustainable. He was in a starting role last year, all season, and then he became a number one in the absence of Emmanuel Sanders. And yet, and yet, Nelson, he was outside the top 70 in total target distance. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Mike Gusecki in the top five among tight ends. Samuel outside the top 70 before b b b before the broken foot. He did it on Yak, right? I mean, congratulations. You're top five in Yak. Great. Okay. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I'm asking you to do it again. You do it again, then we can talk. We can have a conversation. 
right? But yeah, I got to see it again. I got to see it again. It is worth noting that you did select Odell Beckham. Yes, I did. You like Beckham. I like Beckham this year. You like Beckham last year. You like Beckham this year. You took him at the end of round two. That's as early as I've seen him go. I don't want to use this word. This is a disparaging term to use when describing a fantasy gamer's selection. I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to use it. I think that Odell Beckham at the 211 is considered a reach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're saying my pick is a reach? I think that Odell, especially in high stakes, where running back thirst is more robust than more casual leagues, you never see Beckham in the second round. You just don't see it. You took Beckham over Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is on your fade list. You took Beckham over Gordon. You took Beckham over Fournette. You took Beckham over a Cooper, who you got coming back around anyway. You took Beckham over Evans. That's a big deal. That shows a lot of faith in a player that was not good last year. Because he's the perfect post-hype guy. You know, the whole Browns offense is kind of post-hype. Yes, I agree with that. I also think Landry in the sixth round was a great value. I mean, look at it this way. If December comes and we're sitting in week 16 and Beckham is the number one fantasy scorer for wide receivers, will it surprise you? No. And I love that setup. I love how you set up that question. The best way to trap an analyst is to hit them with a, an extreme hypothetical that paints them into a corner. You are good at this, my friend. You are good at this whole fantasy football analysis thing. Why not, Odell Beckham? Why not? Beckham will definitely be more efficient this year, but I just don't think that he'll get the same volume on a Stefanski offense. I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I think that, I mean, it's, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I, I think I would rather have Mike Evans. You had the choice there of Beckham or Cooper or Mike Evans. I got to go Evans over Odell. I can't believe this. I can't believe it. It's happening. It's happening. I've been waiting all this time to finally plant my flag on Mike Evans of all players. But in this particular situation, I I like Mike Evans. I can't believe it. Oh, man. I don't know about that. If if I'm going to go with a guy there in that spot instead of Beckham and let's say I go Cooper and the other guy that I'm taking there is probably Allen Robinson or DJ Moore I agree with that we have DJ Moore and Allen Robinson ahead of Beckham and Evans as well I love that you said Allen Robinson in particular I mean Allen Robinson is a smash I mean these are some of the best wide receivers of our generation all from that 2014 draft class Odell Beckham Mike Evans Allen Robinson. What's not to like about these players? Allen Robinson went one pick before Calvin Ridley in this draft. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a crime. He's the best value this year at wide receiver. Absolutely. There's there's no question. I can't believe he lasted. What are you expecting from Juju Smith-Schuster, who went before Allen Robinson in this draft? You're expecting Allen Robinson-level numbers. That's their ceiling. So why not just draft Allen Robinson? Exactly. I just, I I don't, if you get decent quarterback play from Foles, Robinson has nowhere to go but up. So you think Beckham is a much better post-hype value play than Juju Smith-Schuster? I do. When the draft season started, I imagined Juju Smith-Schuster would be available in the fifth round, sometimes the sixth round. 
I was surprised to see him start the year with a fourth round ADP. There was no window to get him as a post-hype sleeper because in the fourth round, with two other receivers that are going to command targets in Deontay Johnson and James Washington, with a massive question mark in Ben Roethlisberger's elbow, shoulder, ribs, knees, ankles, everything, I think that he's simply fairly priced and he's been that way all year. I, I like Juju this year. I think he bounces back. Yeah. But I, I just think I think Beckham bounces back, but Beckham has the ceiling, I think, to if things work out, that he could be the number one wide receiver this year. That's right. You can't see Juju doing that. You can absolutely see Beckham doing that. In the sixth round, we talked about you took Dak Prescott. What if Marquise Brown was there? Would you have considered him? Because he went the pick before Dak. Marquise Brown could be mega this year. He could be mega Brown. I actually was looking at that uh, because he did go a pick right before me. And I was actually thinking, I'll go Marquise here. I don't think Darren in the one hole is going to take Dak. He's going to take Kyler before he takes Dak at, at quarterback. I'll get Hollywood as my number four, and then I'll come back with Dak, and I'll just punt tight end. And I just don't end up with my boy Gasicki. I would have probably gone ahead and taken either Brita or Marvin Jones with Janu Smith. Yes, yes. What do you like about Janu Smith? Athletic profile. You know, Delaney's gone. I think that someone else needs to get uh, targets in that offense besides A.J. Brown. I don't know. That's, that's kind of it. It's a similar case to what we talked about with Mike Gusecki. It's a very similar situation in that these are the de facto number two receivers. Mm-hmm. These are not going to be prolific offenses because Tennessee's run-oriented and because Miami's just not good. Although Miami could get good very quickly if their offensive line improves dramatically, which it very well could. Now, when you look at these field stretchers, like a Marquise Brown, I'm seeing Mecole Hardman getting drafted earlier than I'm comfortable with. He went the pick before Christian Kirk in this draft. Hardman ahead of Kirk <laughs> is almost as offensive as Deontay Johnson ahead of AJ Green. Not quite, not quite, but my sk- but I, I, I but I, I, I could feel my blood starting to boil. Yeah. I don't get it. What do they expect is gonna happen? I've never seen this. I've never seen a player get drafted with the expectation that one of the starters gets hurt in week one. Because what do you got in Mecole Hardman if Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill are healthy and playing a full complement of snaps, running a full complement of routes in week one? He's a situational guy. He'll get a couple targets. What? 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 I mean, I guess it's the same as drafting Kareem Hunt, that if a Chubb injury or a trade, you're getting a home run pick. I guess that's what they're hoping for. I mean, you can't you can't play Hardman. You can't play Hardman. In the second half, his snaps went down. In the second half, his routes went down. Why was that? Because Tyreek Hill came back. Tyreek Hill comes back and... His snap share goes from 72, 60, 61, 62 to 16, 32, 22, 44, 18, 18, 19, 35 in week 17. So even in week 17, he's only running 11 routes. 
What? 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 What is happening? He had two games with more than 15 fantasy points, and they both came before week four. Like, let that sink in. This is a guy that's going before Christian Kirk. The Cardinals also have a prolific offense. This isn't an inefficient offense. This is the Cardinals offense. They're going to try to lead the league again in pace of play, and they're going to be way out in front and pass to run ratio. That's an offense you want to invest in. We talked about the NFC South and the NFC West. If you put the Rams to the side, there's a lot of offenses that you want to invest in. Kansas City is the team that everybody knows. Kansas City is the team with a brand equity. Kansas City is the team where every player, with the exception of Sammy Watkins, has a full price ADP. You could argue there's a discount on Damian Williams. You could argue there's a discount on Sammy Watkins. The past peak players, there's a discount. That's it. That's it. If you add up all the implied targets and receptions and yards and touchdowns for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Mahomes has to throw for 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns. This is not a place to go to find value, the Kansas City Chiefs. And yet Hardman's ADP just keeps soaring, keeps going up. I open a draft board like your draft board in the FFPC. I'm never surprised when I see Calvin Ridley earlier than I've ever seen him, when I see Miko Hardman earlier than I've ever seen him, and Deontay Johnson earlier than I've ever seen him. I expect it. I expect to be shocked and outraged by those three players' ADP every time I open up a draft board. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Who's going to be that guy in July? We're in July now. Who's that guy? Who's the next guy that I'm going to keep opening up draft boards and he's going to be going around earlier than the last board I saw? I, it's probably going to be whatever guy posts, you know, a video of himself training without his shirt on that is going to get all the hype. It happens every year. Let's create a hypothetical situation here. Let's create a hypothetical scenario. How about that? Cam Newton arrives in New England for some unstructured workouts like Tom Brady is hosting essentially violating league protocols, but whatever, right? Whatever. There's no pandemic happening, especially not in Florida. Tom, you're fine. Just do what you want. Cam Newton arrives in New England, wants to ingratiate himself with the team, looking for workout partners. Cam Newton, shirt off. Nikhil Harry, shirt off. (laughs) That's the perfect storm. So videos go up of a shirtless Cam Newton throwing deep balls accurately to a shirtless Nikhil Harry, squeezing the football every time, you got to think he goes up three or four rounds. I agree. I agree with that. He could be the guy. He could be that guy where we're talking in a month and we're like, can you believe this? Can you believe where you could get Nikhil Harry? This draft happened right before the Cam Newton news, correct? He went 11th round. Nikhil Harry went the pick after Sterling Shepard and the pick before Jerry Judy. And two rounds after McCole Hardman, two rounds after McCole Hardman in a rational and just world, those two ADPs are flipped. I noticed in this draft, Anthony Miller and Sterling Shepard went in succession. Those are the two hardest players to discern in the history of fantasy football. I have never in my life had a more difficult time determining who to draft first Anthony Miller versus Sterling Shepard. They have the same ADP. 
They're the same size, same athletic profile, same scoring profile, same productivity, same efficiency. They're the same exact fucking guy. How do you distinguish between those two guys? <clears throat> I probably go off of the guy that has to contend with less competition, and that's probably Miller. It's got to be Miller, right? Who is the number three in Chicago? Do you know his name? Probably going to be Jimmy Graham now. I don't know. The number three wide receiver is Javon Wims. Wims, yeah. Yep, it's very whimsical wide receiver in Chicago. But we're talking about Jimmy Graham and Javon Wims. The actual number three, I believe, is probably going to be Tariq Cohen, finishing number three in targets on that team. But if the number three is a running back, then... Anthony Miller's in good shape, and sure enough, in this draft, Anthony Miller went one spot ahead of Sterling Shepard, and on our world-famous draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, we have Anthony Miller one spot ahead of Sterling Shepard, because of course. So, this draft happened before the Cam Newton news, and you were selecting Devin Aziazi before the Cam Newton news. Walk us through this pick. Because <clears throat> I'm picturing the New England offense and what it's going to look like this year. And with Belichick going and selecting two tight ends in the draft, I think, and once I looked at Asiasi and what he could do in college and watched a few videos, you know, he's actually pretty talented. Yeah. I mean, over 600 yards receiving last season. Wow. Right. I mean, he came out of nowhere, but okay. He came out of nowhere. He also has two enormous diamond earrings on each ear that's important he looks good like this guy is styling and when you compare the Devin Aziazi headshot with the diamond earrings to the Dalton Keene profile Dalton Keene wearing the ungroomed dirtball mustache <laughs> it's an easy choice give me Devin Aziazi all day give me those earrings now I ask every analyst for a truther Who's that guy deep on rosters that they just can't let go of? It looks like, as a Patriots fan, you're a Rex Burkhead truther. Yeah, I, I, I am. I am. I mean, I feel like anytime he's gotten the opportunity to get a decent amount of snaps in playing time, he looks good. He looks good out there. He produces. Not just looks good, but he produces. Why is that bad? He produces when called upon. It's bad because I don't, I don't, I struggle with the fact of why doesn't he get more? Why did they draft Sony Michelle in the first round when they had Rex Burkhead on the roster? Why did they draft Damian Harris in the third round when they have Rex Burkhead on the roster? It's offensive. Yeah. I'm getting so enraged during the show. <laughs> I'm so offended and enraged on behalf of, of AJ Green, Christian Kirk, now Rex Burkhead. God, I'm so pissed. He is this decade's Mike Allstott if he just got the playing time. Just needs to just get the yes, – it's so, it's so close, but it just keeps slipping away. Okay, I'll get you out of here. Big, 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 bold prediction for the NFL season. Just not COVID-19 related. Okay. Unless the prediction is we have a full schedule uninterrupted with fans in the stands. That would be shocking to me. Yeah. But – Assuming we have something that resembles a season, give me a big, bold prediction. I have two bold predictions. Once again, we're going to double down on Mike Kosicki. Oh, yes. And he is going to finish ahead of Mark Andrews at tight end. Yes. Yes. Top three tight end. Mike Kosicki. He looks the part. He's on the trajectory. All systems go. 
I'll give you one more. Carson Wentz, number one scoring quarterback this year. Carson Wentz, number one scoring quarterback this year. What? So at some points in the show, we talked about how Russell Wilson could be that guy and then how Dak Prescott could be that guy. But all along, it was Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, the whole time, just laying in the weeds. So thank you, by the way, for responding to these questions in written form. You like that? Of course I like that. That's great. Listen, it's a professional podcast. We, we you know, I got to be professional about this. So I figured I'd, I'd send you the responses that I'm going to have so you can kind of be prepared for it. It's so logical that you would do this because you would want the host to tee you up. The funny thing is we kind of usually share the same uh, viewpoint on a lot of fantasy players. I had booked a hotel or beach cottage or something on the Delaware beach, very underrated, with this girl that I met was going to fly in where I was going to take her there, because I lived in D.C. at the time, and I thought that would be a fun, savvy thing to do for a weekend, you know, a weekend sex fest, and then the funny thing was, is I met my wife maybe two weeks before this vacation, Mm -hmm. and we started talking every day. So like a week prior, I called her and I was like, listen, you know, we, I can't, you know, the whole thing fell through this weekend's fallen through. I, I can't do this uh, sex fest weekend thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I definitely have to marry this girl if she's motivating me to cancel this Delaware beach sex thing with the fake boob girl. Oh, no doubt about it. I can't believe I just did this. My fingers are dialing the numbers. I'm picking the phone up. I'm speaking words, telling this girl that that she's got to rip up her plane ticket. I mean, this is crazy. (laughs) This is a weird sensation that I'm feeling. What is this sensation that's making me do this? Cancel all my plans with all my other possibilities. Oh, no. Oh, no. The L word. Oh, no. It's coming. So have you ever been here or or no? No, so I've never been. I'm telling you, I had plans to go because I heard good things and I never had an occasion to go. The kids go to Dewey? Yeah. That's where all the kids go. Yep. Yep. And Rehoboth. Yep. Rehoboth is a college town. The closest I've come to hanging out in that area is Annapolis. And then the tip of Jersey is uh, that Cape May. That's apparently a nice place. I've never been there. You and Tom were running down the beach shirtless, cuddling. It's it's not going to happen. It, it's over. Those days are over. I was heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I was heartbroken when I did it. No shot. No shot. Eh, wrong. No shot. No shot. As good as Tom Brady is, Cam Newton's physical tools dwarf Tom Brady's. Uh, Antonio Brown would have to sign with Tampa Bay. Those days are definitively over, Nelson. That, that's, well, you said on the cusp. 
So Rob Gronkowski signing wasn't enough for you? That's... 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 Wait, he found his way off it? He found his way off of it. He got helicoptered off it? He found his way off of it. He goes at 12. Then he goes at 11. Then he goes at 10. And then he goes at 9. Then he goes at 8. Then he goes at 7. Then he goes at 6. I'm like, whoa, this is happening. He's a mid-first rounder now. It's already happened. It's Tom Terrific. 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 When are we going to have the conversation, Christian McCaffrey or Calvin Ridley at the 101? (laughs) I don't know when we're going to have that conversation. Hayden Hurst has a higher ADP than Austin Hooper. If that's the case, then what the fuck are we talking about? Jesus Christ. I want to stab myself in the eye with a pencil when I read the shit. David Johnson was off to a great start at the beginning of the year. People forget that. I did forget that. Thank you for reminding me. Tyler Higby. It was a men in black situation. I looked at the light. Boom. What happened? We're talking about Tyler Higby. He's a guy, everybody. He's a guy. I'll even take a nurse. At least he has a situation. At least he doesn't have Gerald Everett to compete with. Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. You go to Western Kentucky with average at best athleticism and you break out at age 27 and I'm supposed to be impressed? What the fuck? Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. I knew for a fact he was on the fade list without even looking at the fade list. I had no idea whether Tyler Higby was on the fade list or not, but I knew he was on the fade list. I'm trying to save people from themselves. They want Tyler Higby. Fucking Tyler Higby. Ah, <sighs> man. Dalton Keene wearing the dirt ball mustache. Give me those earrings. Very exciting. I love when I Google any kind of thing relating to DK Metcalf. It's just images of him in the gym. Very exciting. Paris Campbell in round 12. Oh, <laughs> that made me happy. Very exciting. Fuck me, Nelson. Fuck me. Listen, he was he was already on the list. He was already on the fade list before the broken foot. Oh, oh, the insult to the injury. Oh, the insult. So you're saying my pick is a reach? That's the pick that made blood start dripping out of my ear. And you said he was a reach. That's what broke the internet, man. Uh, what? 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 What is happening? Training without his shirt on. You're expecting Allen Robinson level numbers. That's their ceiling. So why not just draft Allen Robinson? That's the perfect storm. I I just, I I, I, I don't. uh, uh. Once again, we're going to double down on Mike Kosicki. I I like Mike Evans. I can't believe it. God, I'm so pissed. So you're saying my pick is a reach?